0: Pray in Jesus name. Amen. So we're uh, in First John. so we've been in first Peter for a long time, so go to First Peter if your Bible is just kind of falling open or if your fingers automatically type first Peter into your phone and just flip one book over or two, rather Second Peter's not much. Flip two books over to first John and, um, and we'll be there for a while. Um, imagine that we were a church that had some who were a part of us, who had begun to believe, proclaim that Jesus, the Jesus that we've been proclaiming, isn't really who we've been proclaiming. That some of the things we've emphasized about Jesus maybe aren't true and definitely aren't important. Uh, For instance, in a couple of months, we're gonna celebrate Christmas where we worship Jesus for the incarnation, God becoming a man. And imagine that there were some in our midst who began to say, you know, is that really true? That seems to be a bit far-fetched. God taking on flesh, a baby who's the king of the universe. And even so, do we really even need that? Like, can we just be a church and have Christianity without something as weird as the incarnation? Um, Or they might take other things like, um, you know, uh, the obedience to God's commands. I mean, come on, this is 2023. Do we really need to obey his commands? can't we just pick and choose the ones that make us comfortable or maybe we've achieved the spiritual state and so that we really don't even sin anymore we're living above sin and so we don't really even have to talk about sin or repentance of sin plus it's so offensive to people um or they might take something like uh, loving each other and say is that really that important you know we're all kind of doing our own thing uh... let's Do we really have to care for each other and love each other? And so say there were people in our our community who were beginning to embrace this and become convinced of this and then begin to lead others astray or want to lead others astray. And then eventually they leave because this isn't a place for that. But then they continue to try and pull people out of this community to come to their new way of understanding Christ. Even sending people house to house to knock on your door and say, hey, let's reconsider the teachings of the crossing church, the teachings of Christianity. What would you say to those who would remain if you had a chance to talk to them? If you had a chance to help them, if you had a chance to encourage them? Well, that is the basic essence of the letter of 1 John, as well as 2 John and 3 John. This community of followers of Jesus that John, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, was one of their elders. So this is in and around Ephesus in Turkey. Um, They had had some from their midst who began to question and doubt and even proclaim a different gospel who had left and continued to try and influence them. And John didn't spend, and he doesn't spend a lot of time in these three letters addressing all the errors or faulty views believed and proclaimed by the group that left. His goal was to teach and encourage those that remained about the reality of who Jesus is and how essential things like the incarnation, things like truth are to being the people of God. Things like obedience to the commands of Jesus, how essential that is to who we are. Things like loving one another, loving our community, how essential that is to being God's people. Ultimately, he wanted them to be assured that what we've been proclaiming, what you've been believing and living out is eternal life. And what they're trying to lead you into on the outside, that's not the way of life hold fast. You really have found it. it really is all true. We don't have to chase false alternatives. We cling to Jesus and his command and calling. And so our prayer for the crossing as we spend about 25 Sundays in 1 John over the next bunch of months, and uh, we're going to have the uh, scripture journals that we've been giving out when we study books of the Bible, they're coming, they're on back order, they should be here this week, we hope. Um, our prayer as we spend these Sundays together in First John is for that same reality to happen in us, that we see and feast on this book, and that it gives us a greater confidence that our faith is rooted in the actual historical person and work of Jesus Christ, that we hold even more firmly and boldly to this truth, that we heed the commands of King Jesus because they are the path to life. and. And we're not a people who shrug our shoulders at sin, but we run to him for repentance. And we do all of this in and as a community flavored by love. That is who we are. And as we see the reality of uh, the life of Jesus showing up in us in this way, as we see God's love settling deep in us and spreading to us to others, we have this growing assurance. We are in fact God's people, doing God's work, doing it his way, making him known to others. And there's a clear distinction between those who are God's people and those who aren't. so essential to who we are as God's people is our relationship to Jesus. And the opening four verses of 1 John, begin with a clear, bold declaration of who Jesus is and what difference it makes to us. By believing and experiencing the historical reality of Jesus, We are, in fact, being brought into the community of God and His people, which will result in our ultimate joy. So let's see this unfold for us in the first four verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father, And was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is really strange language that John uses. He's clearly talking about a person, but he opens with the word what, not who. But this what became a who, the word of life, eternal life, became a person when Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, flesh that could speak and be heard, flesh that could be seen, and flesh that could be touched and felt. And this word of life was made known to John and the other disciples or apostles and was declared to them as the eternal life now being made known to those in this church. And what we see clearly in these opening two verses, the reality of Jesus as the word of life, eternal life, being made known in a historical and tangible way to those who first saw and experienced him. Like there was a growing movement in the early church already present in this church that would become something called Gnosticism. And there's tons of branches of this and different things that they believe. But the the one that they seem to begin to be struggling with with was a a form of Gnosticism that would deny that Jesus was truly human. Because in their Greco-Roman philosophies, they thought that the physical was evil. The physical in and of itself, the material world was bad. Spiritual good, physical bad. So why would the divine take on something bad like physical flesh? And so they began to question uh, the reality of Jesus' human nature. Access to God to them was mystical and spiritual. And it would be a battle that would play out in the early church for the first 300 years until you have things like the Nicene Creed forming a theological statement that helped firm up the church's way of saying once and for all, Jesus is the God-man, truly God, truly man, two natures, one person, that the church has held to ever since then without equivocating. Um, No one has ever been in that category, only this man, Jesus. There's no person who's walked the face of the earth like this. It's part of what makes us unique as Christianity and from all other religions, but it's also essential to who we are and what we believe. It sets our beliefs in concrete instead of in the clouds. Uh, John Piper said it best about this. He says, I don't think it is so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrine of the incarnation The stumbling block is that if the doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. Everything he says is law. Everything he did is perfect. And the particularity of his work and the word flow out into history in the form of a particular inspired book written in the particular languages of Greek and Hebrew that claims a universal authority over every other book that has ever been written this is the stumbling block of the incarnation. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men and women. The incarnation is a violation of the Bill of Human Rights written by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It is totalitarianism, it's authoritarian, it's imperialism, despotism, usurpation, absolutism. Who does he think he is? God? Yeah, pretty much. Jesus was and is the word of life and eternal life. He is the declaration of life. And this life doesn't have a beginning and it has no end. It's eternal. Now, the incarnation had a beginning, but the life that took on flesh never had a beginning. He was eternally with the Father, and at the incarnation of Christ, he descended and took on actual flesh so that in Christ, we have this unique person, the only person who is truly God, truly man, the revelation of God. We saw this in Hebrews uh, last year. Hebrews 1, or maybe the year before. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. All things were made through the Son. All things are sustained by the Son. So literally, all physical life created by Jesus, sustained by Jesus. Not just the life of believers, all humanity It's created by Jesus, sustained by Jesus, which is also why all humanity bears the image of God. All humanity has value, worth, and dignity. There's no person on the face of the earth no matter what they believe, what they look like, where they're from, that we can just dismiss as insignificant, unimportant, wipe them out, who cares? Because they are image bearers, just like we are in desperate need of the gospel of Christ. All physical life created, sustained by the life of the Son, this life is so powerful, it would be called eternal life, never ending, never beginning, always existing, and all this sounds very spiritual and mystical, but John says he became flesh we heard, flesh we saw and flesh we touched. He was revealed and declared to John and the disciples and apostles. John, in fact, was one of the three closest disciples of Jesus along with his brother James and Peter. John, who was called the beloved disciple, uh, the one whom Jesus loves, would write of himself laying his head on the chest of Jesus As they reclined around the table on a few occasions, John, who would write the fourth gospel, the the most unique of the four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke were kind of written around the same time. And they give us a kind of a summary or some call it a synopsis of the life of Jesus. Uh, The Holy Spirit inspired John years later to come back and say, okay, here are things they didn't cover that you need to know about this man, Jesus. Jesus. And it's the most dialogue of Jesus, these encounters that he had with the woman at the well and Nicodemus and these incredible conversations that he had. Uh, John's gospel is full of that. There are a lot of the same themes found in these three short letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but also found in the 4th gospel. Uh, John, of course, would also write the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Uh, Living into his 80s, he was the last of the original 12 to live And by the time he wrote these, he was well-known throughout the church. The last one alive who could say, I heard him, I saw him, I touched him. Everything we've been saying about him is real and true. John who could say, I've suffered greatly because of my proclamation of this Jesus. And to my dying breath, it's true. It's true. It really happened. And this Jesus, this word of life and eternal life was revealed and declared to John and the apostles and is now being made known to them, this church, and to us for a reason, for a purpose. That's the second thing we see. He was made known to us and is now being proclaimed and made known to you so that, verse 3, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This great A mighty plan of God to make himself known to us in a very historical, tangible way was done so we would be brought into fellowship with him and with others who have believed. This was done so we could be brought into community with each other and with God. Also unique to our faith. There is an aspect of our faith that is rooted in objective historical fact. Uh, Jesus Christ is a historical figure who lived and died. If you do the work, if you research it, his life and the testimony of his resurrection is one of the best attested events of ancient history. We have more eyewitnesses and documented evidence in the Bible, outside the Bible, so that we have great confidence there was a man who really lived named Jesus from Nazareth who really did die, crucified by the Romans, and the best explanation after his death is what the Bible proclaims. He really rose from the dead it was we have eyewitness accounts and evidence that's been verified and sustained for 2000 years so our faith is rooted in objective historical truth and our faith is also somewhat mystical spiritual like how do you know you've been brought into this community of faith how do you know you've been brought into this fellowship with other believers and with the father and with the son It's a little mysterious. And sometimes in the church and among believers, we really just want to emphasize one and not the other. There are those who want to be more mystical and spiritual and mysterious and those who want to just talk about facts. And it's really both. Both are essential. It really is essential that you believe the truth of who Jesus is. But believing facts doesn't mean you're necessarily in this community. Remember what James said, James 2. Even the demons know who Jesus is. Facts alone are not enough. So how do you know, in fact, the life of Christ lives in you? How do you know the Spirit of God has moved in and made you part of the body of Christ and brought you into divine fellowship? Yes, affirming historical facts are important, but it's not enough. There is an aspect of where the spirit moves in takes up residence and begins to transform us from the inside makes us a new person. And the rest of 1 John is filled with these types of tests and examples to help us to know that we really are part of this community of faith. This really is who we are. The original audience was uh, this letter was wondering because they had seen some of their own deny the historical reality of Jesus in the flesh. And thus Deny the faith, so what about them? Did what they have? was it real? And John will answer this question in chapter two. But that's part of John's letter to assure those who remain in these ways. Here's how you know that you know, which is he tells us in John 5:13, first John 5:13 that's the purpose of this letter. So let's think about it in terms of just what we've seen so far. There's tons of this to come. Uh, one, uh, if you watch the Bible tr- Project video on 1 John, which I'd encourage you to do, it talks about this being a, uh, a poetic sermon. First John is just a poetic sermon. It's not like typical letters. Hey, I'm writing to you, grace and peace. And on the end, uh, a whole bunch of names of people to greet. Jesse's so happy about that when he finishes this letter. He has a good ending to a letter. Um, but it's not your typical letter. It's, it's a poetic sermon that just cycles through the same truths over and over and over. So that's not permission to just miss as many Sundays as you want because you're going to hear it again. Not at all, uh, but we're going to keep hearing a lot of the same things over and over, over uh, emphasized by John. But let's think about it. what we've seen so far in terms of this fellowship John speaks of. In the original language of the New Testament, the word fellowship is koinonia, of course. It means to have things in common, shared desires, shared wants, shared love, shared life. It's part of how we know we've been truly brought in. We share with God and with others who follow him this shared life. In fact, look at the language of the passage. Uh, This is a huge part of why God has chosen to make himself known to us through his son Jesus in order that, he says, we would all be brought into fellowship with him. The intimacy that the father, son, and spirit have enjoyed, God didn't just keep that to himself, but he says, I wanna bring my image bearers in on this. This is so good. I want to share this with others that I love and that I've made. You you see uh, this part of the prayer that Jesus prayed the night of his arrest in the garden, John 17, the high priestly prayer. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's literally praying for us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you sent me. The Father, Son and Spirit desire to bring us into such a fellowship with them that the world would know Jesus is the Son of God. This is life in union with God. Now this doesn't mean that we become God. We don't become divine in this way, but we share in fellowship with him and begin to think and feel and see the world like he does. Just like the longer you've been married to someone, the more that you can imagine how they would react and respond to different things. So you're in conversation with someone, and uh, this happens all the time. If, if I'm hanging out with a bunch of guys and we're talking about life or movies or adventures or things that you can do, I, I can be like, oh, Jennifer would love that. we got to do that. we got to see that movie. Uh, I saw a clip of a new movie, I think, this morning on TikTok. and I was like, that's an awesome movie. we got to watch that together. She's going to love that. Or she's going to hate that. I definitely don't want to take her to that restaurant. That's not going to be her cup of tea. Or you travel somewhere without your spouse or, or whoever it is, and you, like, you're, you're in experiences. Like, i got to take a picture of that. And you do it with your kids, too. As your kids get older, you can actually text them. You, uh, you see this. This has made me laugh. This, this will make you laugh, too. And you send it to your kids or your spouse. That's like shared life, shared interests, shared values, shared experiences. That's fellowship. And we do that with each other as a church family. We get together and we have MC meals. We get together and, and uh, we, we just hang out and have fun. Like last night, a bunch of people hanging out Flying Tiger, celebrating the soon wedding of, of Billy. And we're, we're, we're sharing life and enjoyment and experience with each other that we can always recount and remember. Jesse's like the best in the world about recounting the fun things that he's done with people in the crossing before. It, like He could write a book about it. It just fills him up with joy because of how he has been in fellowship with the body of Christ. And it's that way with God as well. Like, you have shared interests with our Father. We love what He loves. We care about what He cares about. The things that break His heart break our heart. The things that cause God to grieve cause us to grieve. We have, we have shared communication if we're in this intimate relationship with our Father. Prayer, prayer is not about getting what we want. Prayer is not about... Um, manipulating God to our our will and our desires, should we pray for what we want? Absolutely. Should you tell God, this is what I desire? Sure. But you you spend time with Him like a child with a father. We just enjoy the very act of prayer because it's us enjoying time with our perfect Father in heaven. If we see prayer like that, then that prayer is not a, a labor, a chore, a burden. It's like, I can't, I can't wait to hang out with them. Who else would I want to be, or be around? Just like you look really forward to certain people in your life that it's, it's no stress, it's just enjoyment when you hang out with them. Like I have two friends I've been friends with since high school. Once a month we get together and have supper. And I look forward, it's like a little play date, a guy's date. And I look so forward to that because it's so much fun. Because it's just just hanging out, talking about life as a husband and fathers and in the community and catching up and things like that. Like, it's like that with God, but times 10, because you don't have any of the, the weird stuff that sometimes comes between our relationships. So this is all fellowship, koinonia. Uh, earlier in the prayer of Jesus in John 17, he says this, This is eternal life, that you, you, they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not something we achieve or do. Eternal life is a relationship, knowing God, which does mean you have to believe accurately the facts of Jesus, but it's also this mystical and spiritual union with God. But that is life. That is true life, capital L life. You see something similar in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says, "'The wise person should not boast in his wisdom.'" The strong should not boast in his strength, the wealthy should not boast in his wealth, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love and justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. So much of what is prized, and if we were honest this morning, maybe even really wanted by us at times, wisdom, strength, wealth, you can have all of that and miss out on life because life is life with God, God alive in you. Peter wrote about it like this in Second Peter. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So there's your facts, knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these things, He has given us very great and precious promises. Again, you're believing the truth proclaimed, the promises of God so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of the evil desire. You see that balance, believing objective fact in this mystical union, sharing in the divine nature of God, which is mind-blowing that we are the dwelling place of God. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how can we know? How can we know if we have this life? How can we know if we just know God or know about God rather, I just know facts about God versus I know him. He's my father. He's my friend. He's my shepherd. He's my savior. He he lives inside of me. How can we know? Part of the evidence can be found in the last verse of this section, verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Jesus, the word of life and eternal life, has been revealed and declared to the apostles first and now to us so that we're brought into fellowship and a relationship with them and the Father and the Son. And John is writing this to us, the original audience, and to us so that we would be reminded and our joy would be complete joy would be experienced, joy would be spread. So one of the ways we can know we have this union with God is we hear these truths, we're reminded of these truths, and there's a furnace of joy bubbling up inside of us right now. Like right now, you're like, can we just stop talking and sing? Because I need an outlet for this joy. If we were a certain kind of church, you could just be like, yes, amen, that's awesome. Keep going, you just let it out. It's okay. I'm not going to be afraid. If you do that, I'll, I might preach longer, but I won't be afraid. Don't throw me off. Like there's this joy that is, is being sparked again. I'm so glad to be reminded of who Jesus is, that my faith in him is faith in the ultimate truth and reality that God became a man. And he's come after me as sinner, and I'm experiencing this deep fellowship of love and joy that comes from me in fellowship with him and united to him. and the heart, you see the heart of a pastor here, verse 4, his joy, John's joy wasn't tied to just his own gain, his joy was tied to his people, hearing and believing and being reminded again of who they are in Christ. If you're doing well, that brings me more joy than if I'm doing well. You doing well actually helps me do well better, uh, John would say, a pastor would say, a parent, the heart of a parent for their kids we can be struggling but if our kids are doing well man yes thank you Jesus they're doing well but it wasn't just John's joy he said our joy there is a joy shared by all as they are reminded of this union they shared with the father and the son it's not a perfect joy that we will experience in the eternal state but it is a joy he says that is complete full not partial Full, rooted in the reality of fellowship with Jesus, the God-man, who he really is, being in union with him. Like complete, full joy. There's nothing deficient in it. Is the presence of sorrow and suffering and grief and mourning and lamenting still there? It's still there because we're in this broken world. But the fullness of joy is there. The completeness, the wholeness of joy is also there and never diminished because of the presence of sorrow and lament and suffering. I don't know exactly where everyone is this morning, but I know that in our church, there is ongoing battles and fighting for joy among the people of the crossing. How can we have joy with the mess of Israel and Gaza? I've been talking to a buddy of mine who's just reading the news and is trying to make sense of it. And he's messing him up, he said. This is all messing me up. What is going on? The world is so broken. Sorrow, suffering, death, injustice, it's everywhere. Death is so rampant. And, and then everything nowadays is so complicated to even know what to believe or what positions are okay to take. The sources of our news are literally just money-making corporations who spread fear and negativity so they can make more money, which is also despairing. But can you even trust what they say and what they focus on? And we have our own struggles. We can be emotionally down and then up within a few hours based on things that really in the big picture of life aren't that important. One scroll through social media making one comparison with somebody else, we sink like a rock. And then an hour later, we get a text about something completely unrelated and not even significant. And we're up. Yeah. We just can bounce back and forth. Plus real issues like genuine struggles with anxiety and depression and despair and hopelessness. Families or singles facing real issues. Sick sick loved ones, friends, kids struggling with mental and emotional health, spiritual rebellion, Marriage is fighting for peace and health, job and financial concerns. We can have such overwhelming obstacles to joy that we hear something like this, and our immediate response isn't faith and joy affirming uh, uh, expressions, but maybe even skepticism. Like, yeah, right, sure. Maybe for the super Christians, but is this for me? John makes no distinction our joy, all of you, everyone who's in a part of the church, not for the apostles and disciples, not for the leaders of the it's for everybody. Or maybe some of us are just downright cynical, like, no way, I, that's, that's just for somebody else. And so my prayer and my hope you'll see this morning is to see and believe again while our experience with joy does ebb and flow, the source of of our joy never changes, ever. It is rock solid, never going away, never being diminished, never being extinguished, always full, always bubbling, always just a torrent of joy available to us in Christ Jesus. Every, just open the spigot, it's there, it's coming out. Because his spirit is alive in us, and we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. My prayer for myself and all of us is Jesus, be kind to us once again and help us to hear and help us to see and help us to touch and feel that your joyful, strong presence is here. Just as John the Apostles heard, saw, and felt you, just as Thomas doubted, did he really show up? Come on, guys. I mean, I, I heard what happened. He's dead. Resurrected? Come on. And Jesus shows up a week later to Thomas. Not with his, you know, hands on his hips. Thomas, come on, loser. No, not condemning or shaming. Here, Thomas, believe. And blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen, you have felt. Blessed even more are those who haven't seen and have believed. Help us to see he is here. Help us to see he is with us. Help us to see he is in us. Help us to see in a fresh way the source of our joy is never dry or ever exhausted. But is always real and always powerful. I've been reading through a book as of late uh, called They Found the Secret. It's a book of biographical essays put together 50, 60 years ago by a man by the name of V. Raymond Edmond. At the time, he was president of Wheaton College. He put together a series of essays for Christian Life magazine that was turned into a book in 1960. And he, he does a biographical sketch of 20 Christians, uh, and most of the information was from their own writings, from their journals, from the things that they wrote. Some of them well-known names, so it's like J. Hudson Taylor, the well-known missionary to China, Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India, Oswald Chambers. He wrote My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional that... Millions of people have read. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Adoniram Judson, the missionary to Burma. Dwight Moody, the evangelist. Andrew Murray, all of his well known writings. And a bunch of people I didn't know. But each of the biographical sketches is drawn from their words. And, and, and here's the, the essence of what he's trying to get across. All of these people were believers, some of them were already doing the work that God called them to do. But at some point, they hit a wall, something was missing. Something was dry. Something was lacking. And they went through this crisis of wondering and trying to figure out, how does God feel about me? Where am I in all of this? Who am I? And in varied ways, all the experiences are different because all the people are different. And God's not a formula, a math formula to solve. He's a person who's relating to us as people. So all the experiences happen in different ways. You just have to read through them. But while the experiences were varied, the commonalities among them all were the same. However Jesus got them there, they ended up in this same place where the presence of Jesus was tangible, sweet, strong, overwhelming, real, and transformational. Edmund sums it up like this. The crisis of the deeper life this longing for more and realizing you're not really experiencing all Jesus has for you. The crisis for the deeper life leads to what he calls the exchange life. He didn't really call it that. Somebody else did long ago, the exchange life. What is the exchange life? Really, it's not something, it's someone. It is the indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ made real and rewarding by the Holy Spirit. It is life with a capital L. It is New life for the old. It is rejoicing for weariness and radiance for dreariness. It is strength for weakness and steadiness for uncertainty. It is triumph even through tears and tenderness of heart. It is lowliness of spirit instead of self-exaltation and loveliness of life because of the presence of the altogether lovely one. Adjectives can be multiplied to describe it. Abundant, overflowing, all-pervading, satisfying, joyous, victorious. And each one is but one aspect of a life that can be experienced but not fully explained. And so, dear brother and sister in Christ, like no matter how bleak it may feel today, Jesus is here, ready to give us what we need to enjoy communion with him, to enjoy the joy of our Father in heaven. He's been revealed and declared to you to bring you that incredible joy. It may seem impossible, but just start right where you are by hearing and believing and ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, I need you. Do what only you can do in me, and I want to be open to whatever you have for me. Bring it. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, that you would condescend To us, Leave heaven and come to earth, not to solve your problem, but to solve the problem and the mess that we made through our sins. To bring back the rebels who had run away from you. Thank you that that really happened. There really was a man named Jesus who really did live and die and rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. And we are part of this community of believers who have been believing this proclaiming this for thousands of years. We are not on an island. We are not in a vacuum. We are with a family, a host of brothers and sisters. And so help us to see that, to feel that, to enjoy that again. To see you've put us in this divine fellowship with you and with each other so our joy can be complete in whatever ways that is hard and whatever ways there are obstacles and whatever ways that's a struggle for us today, overcome it with your strong, never ending, never giving up love. Overwhelm us with your love today. Overwhelm us with your presence and your power. I pray that if that means salvation for someone, that, that today would be the day of their salvation as they believe in Jesus and trust in him for the first time. But for many of us, we need refreshing and encouraging and spurring on to stay in the fight. Do that through us who are here. Do that through us to the rest of the Crossing family who aren't here gathered today. We would own the relationships of those we're in community with and pursue one another and love each other and serve each other. And then help us to do that beyond the crossing to our city, our region, and to the nations. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.